Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958. 931-243-3958. Or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. If you listen to the great coaches of the world, you will hear them talking about trusting the process. You'll hear them uh, talking about planning strategies. And you may even have heard some people say, nobody plans to fail. Well, that's probably the reason I'm not a world-class athlete because I plan for failure. My martial arts career is based on the fact that I'll get into a situation against an opponent who's younger than me, bigger than me, stronger than me, in better shape than I am, and get me in a terrible position. I don't prove anything if I go into a gym and, and leg lock or choke my way through a room. Now, that's not, that, that's not to say that there's a room that exists that I can do that. But my martial arts career is if everything I've ever learned about keeping myself safe and maintaining distance and being able to keep you out of my circle, and if you get in my circle, you can't stay in my circle, everything in, in, in what I do with, with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is I plan to fail. I plan for some big monster to have taken a hold of me and got me in a place I never wanted to be in in the first place, and now how can I respond to that? what to do when everything that you've trusted doesn't work and now you got to dig yourself out of a hole you got to survive that's what i mean by planning to fail the simple fact that when i take people climbing i carry with me a rescue bag 
I remember I was I was climbing with some young guys and we had I taught them a little bit and they decided that they would buy a rope and do some climbing on their own. They weren't really climbing on their own. They discovered that rock climbing for them had a certain CDI factor. Uh, CDI stands for Chicks Dig It. And you could take girls out to the rock site and impress them with your daring deeds. And I had a pretty strong talk with the guys and said, you know, you realize when you take somebody out on the rocks, you've got to be prepared to rescue them if something happens to them. And you can't do that with a single rope. You've got to have multiple pieces of equipment. And until you're ready to train for, for failure when everything goes wrong, then you're not really to be you're not ready to be taking other people out and climbing. And so planning for failure is the reason you have a rescue bag. Planning for failure is why you have a life jacket in your boat. Planning for failure is why you have a fire extinguisher at your house. Planning for failure is why you have seat belts and airbags in your car. I was wearing my traditional woodland camouflage pants. More than likely would have had on a black t-shirt and a matching headband. And in those days, I would have had hair. Picture that walking up to you on your picnic blanket when you're outside. And the lady turned and looked at me and I said, excuse me, ma'am, but would you happen to have any painkillers on you? Tylenol, ibuprofen, something like that. And she said, well, yes, I do. And I said, would it be possible for me to borrow some of it? And she said, yes, it would. And then I'm standing there waiting on her to, to, to do something, as in reach in her purse or in her backpack and give me the drugs. But she didn't move. And it was this moment of awkwardness. And I said, well, it would be nice to have them now. And then she said, do you really need them? I said, well, that's why I walked over here and asked for them. She said, no, no, no. I, is he really hurt? And I said, yes, ma'am, I think he's really hurt. She said, well, I just thought you guys were doing a training exercise. Now, the he that she's referring to is an older gentleman named Dave Clark. Dave has a son older than I am. So at this time, uh, he's the age probably that I am now. And he had gone with us on one of our climbing trips. Uh, David caught me one night after church and said, hey, you know, you always talk about climbing and rappelling. And at some point, I'd like to go watch you do that. Well, it just so happened that I was taking a group of young people out and we were going to, to do that. And so I said, hey, Dave, would you like to go with us? Now, the young people that I had with me were Josh and Amy and Lacey. Now, later, Lacey, a girl, a group in my youth group would marry a young preacher. Uh, Josh and Amy would actually get married. They would get married on the opening day of dove season. And I've never let Amy forget that. Uh, charming little couple. I've been friends with them a long, long time. <laughs> I was at the mall after they'd gotten married and uh, I saw them on the lower level. I was going up the escalator to the upper level. I turned around and ran down the escalator and, and, and grabbed them and hugged them and was talking to them and was just, you know, having th that kind of a conversation you have when a youth minister sees some of his kids that have grown up. My wife comes in to the, the store where I was talking to these kids and reminded me that I had uh, trapped or pinned 
a young couple that had grown up with me as their minister while they were shopping in Victoria's Secret, and I should probably quit being an idiot and leave them alone. So I left them in the unmentionable store. Uh, several months later, uh, a little Amy called the office and, hey, Mr. Lonnie, did you know that Josh and I were going to have a baby? And I said, no, I was unaware of the fact that you guys were going to have a baby, but I was probably there when you picked out the outfit that caused the whole thing, and Amy hung up on me. Well, <laughs> that being said, uh, in these days, we were on better speaking terms. So we, we drive over to this park called Palisades Park. It's a park controlled by Blunt County. There's a main rock wall. It's probably maybe a, a half to three-quarter mile uh, rock escarpment. And it has great climbing routes, climbing routes of all types, climbing routes of all grades. And it's a perfect place to repel. You drive up to the parking lot, you walk out to the bluff. It's not a long walk. It's not a hard entrance. And perfectly set up for doing some real simple repelling and some, some top roping. And so as we get out of the car, I put my hand on this little black bag. Uh, and I said, this is the rescue bag. Now, the rescue bag contains two ascenders known as Jumars, a handful of pulleys, some Prusik line, and some webbing for making uh, extra harnesses and things. And I said, if I ask for the rescue bag, this is what I'm talking about, and this is where it is. And we left it in the car and went out. So uh, I rigged a place for us to repel, and uh, the, the three young people... Uh, Amy and Lacey and Josh did a good job, you know, repelling off this relatively short side of this wall. We were, I think we're on the cathedral wall. And Dave looks at me and he looks at the kids and he said, you know, that didn't look too bad. In fact, that looked fairly easy and, and the way you do it looks pretty safe. I think I'd like to try it. And so now we've gone from I'm just going to go and I'm just going to watch to I'm going to try this. And so we did, and, and Dave, you know, put on a harness, and we got him all hooked up and got it, and, and, and we repelled, and then they did several little repels, and then I doubled the rope through an anchor point and dropped it, and I repelled down, and then we did some top rope climbing. Top roping is, is probably the safest way you can climb. Uh, you're not leading the rope. It's a, it's a, you don't involve any dynamic falls. There's a one big monster anchor point, and you're climbing toward the anchor and somebody's pulling in your slack. And if you were to slip or fall, you just hang in place. There's nothing, you know, dynamic about it. And it's really a super safe way to climb. Well, Dave didn't try to climb any, but the young people did. And then after that, we ate a little picnic lunch. And then I said, now, we can go home or we can do something a little taller. Well, the girls were done. But Josh and Dave said, hey, we'd like to repel off something a little higher. Well, now, the way the, the park at Palisades is, you've got the main wall, and then just on the, just near the ranger station, there's an island. It's a rock formation separated from the rest of the wall, and it, it slants up, and it has a really long face. I think the route, uh, My Little Pocket Frog is on it, and it's an expert-level route. And it, it's probably good for 90 to 100 feet of just a straight single line rappel. And so we decided we're going to go over there and rappel that. Now, in order to get from the main rock to the island, you've got to step across this little gap. Well, a step is probably not. I have to jump. But, you know, a, a regularly, a really tall person can just do kind of a step hop. Well, I, I try to be a mother hen when it comes to safety. So I attached a rope to a tree. I popped over the little gap, tied it to another tree, and then uh, had the young people say, 
clip to this rope as you jump across. That way, if you lose your footing or if something happens and you lose your balance, this rope will catch you and you won't fall into the gap. And so we just did that to be super safe. And so, you know, I let Josh jump across and I'm hooking up uh, Amy and uh, Dave hooks in and jumps across. And when Dave jumps across, he collapses right at the lip and emits kind of a high-pitched sound. Well, I get over to him, and, and, and for whatever reason, the tendon that connects the quadricep femoris muscle or either the patellar tendon, something in that area of his knee, had turned loose. And if you've torn your patellar tendon or you've torn the quadriceps tendon that connects that to your knee, you're not going to walk. And you're definitely not going to stand up and jump back over this gap that is about 50 feet in the air. In technical terms in the climbing world, this situation is called a problem. Because Dave's on this side and the truck is on the other side. And to be strictly biblically accurate, there's a great gulf that separates us. And now it's time to do some, some vertical rescue. And so I looked at the girls and said, I'm gonna need that rescue bag and so they trotted off and and, and got the bag and, and and what we ended up doing was tying a rope to a big tree and bringing it across the gap and putting it through the carabiner on dave's harness and then putting the rope around another tree at a, a, a different angle put a butterfly knot in the rope ran the the tail end of the rope through the butterfly knot to give us a two-to-one advantage and then as josh and i pulled the tension out of the rope it would raise dave up and then he could slide across either of his own power or with the girls pulling a tagline that we'd made out of the rescue bag the, the webbing in the rescue bag and pull dave across the gap and then lower him to the ground if that's too confusing for you, take one of your coffee mugs and set it between two legs of your table. Tie a piece of cord or a piece of rope around the, the leg of your table about eight inches high. Run the rope or the cord through the handle of the coffee mug and go up about 12 inches high and then tighten that rope up and as you tighten it up the slack pulls the coffee mug in the air and the coffee mug slides toward the leg that's how we were rescuing Dave we got him to the other side lowered him to the ground collapsed our system I went over while the kids were coiling the ropes and barred the ibuprofen I took a piece of firewood or a, a broken limb and I fashioned it into a uh a brace and tied it to Dave's leg to immobilize it. We carried him to the car. And after we got to Crestwood Hospital, I had to make the phone call. This was before cell phones. I had to make the call to Miss Pat and go, Hey, Miss Pat, we're at the hospital. That was the scariest part of the day. Not Dave being on the other side of the Great Gap. Not the fact that Dave had almost fallen in the hole. Not the fact that Dave was injured, but I, I had to call Miss Pat and tell her I was calling her from the hospital. Now, there's a lot of takeaways from this. And I, I really don't know that there's any one that is better than the other. Number one, is Dave goes on this trip with us and, and he's convinced that this is something that he doesn't want to do, he doesn't need to do, and he's just going to watch. But at the end of the day, not only does he end up doing it, he ends up doing it well and saying, well, I'd like to do some more of it. And so we ramped up from doing a short drop to doing a bigger drop. And 
and adding in order to get to this big drop, we've got to jump over this gap. And that is the way desensitization works. That is the way we end up being exposed to things and participating in things that we beforehand had said we're not going to do, we're not going to be a part of. That's what they talk about when they talk about gateway drugs. That a person who begins to smoke cigarettes is much more likely to smoke marijuana, and a person who smokes marijuana is much more likely to, to do something else. You get exposed to these things and you look at what other people are doing and you see that, that they're doing it and doing it successfully and you think, hey, what can it hurt? That's what happens when affairs take place. You, you, you have contact with a person that is of the opposite sex and, and you don't think there's anything wrong with you having conversation with them and you don't think there's anything wrong with you spending an inordinate amount of time with them and, and before long, this thing that you, you really didn't feel comfortable about at first you become desensitized to it and, and, and you're comfortable. On, on the other hand, that's the only way to solve an anxiety is to expose yourself to it. If, if you've got a hang up about something and it gives you trouble, the only way to fix that is to go and watch somebody else do it and to try it a little bit and to try a little bit more and then try a little bit harder and try a little bit higher. And then all of a sudden you're desensitized. And desensitization isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's a thing. And it works in, in, in helping us learn to do things we need to do. And it's a strategy that is used to expose us to things that we should be uncomfortable with and somehow we suddenly get comfortable, we get acclimated, and then we compromise our own rules about what we will or will not do or what we should or should not do. The other part of this is, is how do we respond when life is out of control? What's our response when the plans that we've made and the things that we expect and life doesn't turn out like, like we expect it to? You see, I can't prevent life from becoming out of control. I, I, I can't prevent tragedy. I can't prevent disaster. I can't prevent cataclysmic events. But I can prepare for them. You see, success as a trip leader, as a rock climbing guide, or as a rappelling guide, success as, a, as an outfitter out west taking people elk hunting, uh, outfitter... Outfitters prepare for, hey, if this happens, then this. See, you can't control whether or not things get out of control. The only thing you can control is how you respond to things when they get out of control. Uh, I, t I took a gunfighting class uh, at Shoot Ride Academy. A, a gentleman named Tiger McGee teaches this pistol class, and uh, he says that in a gunfight, you can only control two things. And the two things you control are, are what you can do and how fast you can do it. You know, I find that to be true in lots of things. Every time there's a tragedy, every time there's an unexpected event, every time there's a catastrophe, rather than spending our time looking at, well, we shouldn't be here and we could have prevented this, the prevention stage has sailed. And now it's time to say, are we prepared for the worst? Have, have we made proper preparations for when life gets out of control? 
See, you're, you're not a good parent or a bad parent based on what your kids do or don't do. <laughs> you, you become a good or a bad parent based on how you respond to what your kids do or don't do. And so what can I do? What, what are my resources? What's the availability? And then how fast can I do it? Now, the speed at which you do or the speed at which you don't do is really, really important. Because if you get into a rescue situation and you're panic and you're running around and everything is chaotic, then it, chaos breeds chaos. And calm breeds calm. So you calmly look at people and say, I need that rescue bag. And this is what I need you to do. And this is what I need you to do. And then even the people watching don't get alarmed. They are relaxed and comfortable and enjoy watching the rescue because they think it's a staged thing. And it only looks staged if it's been rehearsed. And it only looks rehearsed if it's been practiced. And so what happens when things get out of control is, is we've got to decide, first of all, what can I do? And then second of all, at what pace am I going to do it? He who controls the pace controls the encounter. That's one of the principles we play with in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. See, if you attack me and I can relax and I can be calm and I can create space and I can frame you... Most people aren't good for a long interaction going 100 miles an hour. I call it the wrestler's pace. You know, when I taught Lonnie Beth a little bit of self-defense, I said, all you got to do is keep the guy off of you for a minute. And then watch for him to start breathing out of his mouth. Watch for his shoulders to, to, to start sagging. And then what little technique you might know, you can use that to escape. You can use that to, to do a sweep. Whoever controls the pace controls the encounter. So I can freeze you out. I can stall you out. Or if I've decided that I'm the superior athlete, then I can weaponize my cardio. I can make you go at a relentless pace. I can put you on the defensive and have you reacting rather than responding. And, and in either way, I'm controlling what I can do. And I'm controlling how fast I can do it. So... We spend so much of our time trying to prevent things from happening rather than actually preparing ourselves for the eventuality that they will happen. If you expect the unexpected, is the unexpected really unexpected? Preparing rather than trying to prevent. Because I'm not in control of that kind of stuff. I'm not in control of the stock market. I'm not in control of the weather. I'm not in control of your behavior. I'm not in control of my spouse's behavior. I'm not in control of my children's behavior. I'm not in control of how imperfect people that I go to church with. What I am in control of is understanding that when imperfect people live up to their potential and accomplish imperfection, then it doesn't wreck my day, it doesn't ruin my outlook, it doesn't cause me to be disgruntled or disconnected because I've already prepared for the fact that I live in an imperfect world. I'm one of the imperfect people that lives in it. And although I can't prevent mistakes and I can't prevent things from being out of control, I can prepare for how I'm going to respond when those things that I wished I could prevent take place. I can't prevent them, but I can prepare for them. And that's how you determine success versus failure.
And I'm sure you've heard that failure to plan is planning to fail. Well, well, I would just ask you to consider that it might be true that not planning to fail is a failure to plan. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife Jackie and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts, and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is, for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean fun and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones.